Hey, Mike. Hey, Julian. Ch-ch-changes. Shut up, Julian. A, oh. you can't sing, and B, you know nothing about change. However, I know somebody who knows a lot about change and how to explain it and work with it. Her name is Jackie Ayres. Okay, well, let's get her on then. Yeah, no singing. <laughs> okay, I'll try. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Hope. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Dr. Jackie Ayres is here. Now, to Jackie Nurse, Dr. Nurse. Jackie Ayres, they'd say in Germany, wouldn't they? Dr. Nurse Jackie Ayres. <laughs> would they say that in Germany? It's... They would say Krankenschwester. Dr. Krankenschwester. That would be me in German. Krankenschwester. 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 Sister. Sister for the ill. Ah, right. Okay. Nurse in German, they... Krankenschwester. They say some funny things, don't they? But we shouldn't judge them for it. We shouldn't, because they're the kind hearts. They say things like Geschwindigkeitsbeschränkung and things like that, don't they? And the point of the, the Paidensteller. Yeah. Yeah. Genau. Vorsprung durch Technik. Absolutely. Yeah. And is that my sausage? Yeah. Yeah. I normally say, get out of the way, Audi. <laughs> How rude so, I drive. How rude I drive one. How rude. Really but getting back perhaps to the fact that you are a doctor and a nurse. Retired nurse. Reti- doctor, nurse, retired. Because uh-huh. you're, you're not a medical doctor, but you are a medical nurse. Yes, correct. Doctor of philosophy. Yes. Doctor of philosophy. And I was, in fact, a medical nurse because I prefer medical nursing to surgical nursing. So I actually was a medical nurse. That's right. Right. So pretend for a moment that I don't know all this and we haven't had many drunken chats about it over uh, over gestrossings and uh, things in, in, in uh, ski sloop bars. Tell me what came first, the, the PhD or the nursing? Or was it something else completely? The nursing, because I started when I was 16, just short of my 17th birthday in 1974. I and my very few personal belongings found their way up to an orthopaedic hospital in Northampton. Because back then, you couldn't start your what was then SRN training, now RGN, until you were 18. Mm-hmm. But for some strange reason, you could do an orthopaedic ophthalmic or thoracic nurse training age 17. And so just short, just a week or two short of my 17th birthday, I went and started a 20-month orthopaedic nursing training. Wow. Which was very good grounding in very, very important, so-called basic, but I prefer essential nursing skills. Which are lots of patients on long bed rest back in the day, you wouldn't now. In all sorts of strange contraptions, Jones double abduction frames and little boys in broomstick plasters and people on huge leather hip spiker frames that were made on site um, by a very skilled craftsman. There was a boot shop and a splint shop. It was a little community. If I did that, and then after that, I did my registered, my SRN as it was then. And then I had a series of staff nurse positions, ward sister what would now be called a modern matron, and on and on and on and up. Got to just below board level. The more I looked, I thought always thought I wanted to be a director of nursing, got within a whisker of it. 
there was the veterinary bit in there, you see a whisker. And <laughs> I didn't like it anymore much, really. Didn't like the look of it too well. And I had a assessment centre, one of those things where you, in the NHS, you have to reapply for your job every so often because they just decide to have a reorganisation. And the occupational psychologist who did it, I'm forever indebted to because he said, really, Jackie, don't go for a board level job. You'd hate it. You won't fit in. You're too maverick. You're too challenging. It just won't work. I strongly recommend you try this. Mm -hmm. So I went into leadership development instead. I should add, I spent about three years on a, in a corporate, oh, this is very posh, a corporate human resources team. Mm. Oh, yes. I know. Learning the dark art of corporate spin, which I found I was worryingly good at. <laughs> and so. You understood I, the acronyms, did you? Really? You understood the acronyms. Oh, I made them up, Julian. Never mind, I understood them. <laughs> and then that was all part of our team's that word remit. We had to do drastic ghastly things to the organization in the name of improvement and progress. Mm -hmm. The sort of thing you'd never want done to yourself, but was fair game to do to everybody else. The dark art of it's been. And so after a while in that and realizing this wasn't really where I should be, I stepped sideways into leadership development where right. I spent mm -hmm. a happy, I guess, best part of 20 years really from about 98 to 2018 when I finally mm -hmm. uh, I've stopped paid work because, as you know well, I haven't stopped work because of all my voluntary stuff. Along the way, I gained the first degree, the master's degree, and the PhD because, say what you will about the NHS, and most of what I would say about it is very good. The opportunities were so good for development, and it's not like that now, but paid, study leave, everything was all found. So it was a really great opportunity just to do all that, those things. I've been offered two jobs with the NHS off the back of my vaccinating recently. You've I've... been doing the vaccinating as well, have you, Mike? Yeah. I'm politely declining them because I think direct patient care is is fine, but not £9.50 an hour. Yeah. yeah, and that's the problem, isn't it? Mm. Oh dear, that's not a lot, is it? Not a lot at all. Not for not to have a responsibility for and with a patient. It's, it's a bit sad, but anyway, such is life. So you finished with the NHS now, then, Jackie? Yeah, yeah I have. I waved goodbye 2018, 44 years. Wow. One Gosh, way or the other. Yeah. I mean, latterly, I was working in a sort of consultancy-ish fashion. So you might say I was allied with rather than absolutely part of. Well, the very last job was with the NHS Leadership Academy, which was one of those great things which was started up. And then oh, it was brilliant, but it cost a lot of money to run and it was an early casualty as usual. Somebody's need to cut money mm -hmm. in. When it first started, and I, again, I think I'd, I'd be very lucky wherever I'd been. I feel I've had the best of things. You may be there at the right time as well. Sure. Well, Although I suspect most of the time you made that luck. Yeah. Yeah, there's a possibility of that. There is a possibility of that. But I think, too, I have been lucky, even lucky to have been 
dare I say the dread words, baby boomer, born a baby boomer, because we have been such a, I know, sorry, everybody who's young and immediately now hates me, you know, because we are public enemy number one, aren't we, with our paid for houses and uh, mm-hmm. final salary pensions. What, and- what, what's all the we stuff? <laughs> we we collectively as a generation, not you. Oh, we oh. the baby boomers. No, no, we, Mike. Gosh. Good. Well, clearly you are not of the same generation I, at all. I was nearly more the halcyon then. days. The halcyon days. I nearly had to take offence of on my days. Please yourself. Jack, you always spoken very fondly of the NHS. Mm. And I think you were in at a really good time in the NHS's. In incarnation. How do you think things are going with it now? Because obviously, we'll, to, to our listeners, at the moment we're in the middle of strikes everywhere in the UK. We have nursing strikes, ambulance strikes, doctor strikes, not to mention uh, British rail strikes, or rail, national rail strikes, although it's still not know whether they're working. After yeah, so many. what are you going to do about this, Jackie? Yes. So Me personally, well, be glad that I'm not part in it anymore because I think it would now be a horrendous place to work. I've had experience now in one of the last few years of visiting particularly my elderly mother in hospital. And I suppose I have to be careful what I say really, but I don't think things are what they used to be. I think the time pressure on the staff is massive and I think they're running too hard, by which they mean that the beds are almost, as soon as someone's out, another person's in. Mm. I was down at my local hospital in Surrey not long ago I was chatting to the person I saw down there. And they said at that time, they had 150 patients in who were medically fit for discharge but had, couldn't go because they didn't have social care packages or care home placements yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Now, I would say that's probably a 600-bed hospital. So fully 25% of their beds were occupied by people who really didn't want to be there but can't go for yeah, one job. And that's a shame, isn't it? Because you mentioned earlier how people would stay bedridden for months in hospital in the 70s for orthopedic treatment. And now treatments are so, so much better, so much more focused that they can have shorter stays. Except now they still can't because they're getting better. They're much better and well enough to leave within a few days or a week or so. But they can't go anywhere because there's nowhere for them to go afterwards that there aren't the care packages in place. Yeah. So... I think various parts of the NHS have shot itself in the foot. Fair enough to say, isn't it? Oh, it's impossible. Right? The problem they've got as well is the level of acuity of the patients. So when I was a young nurse, or say a male medical ward, for example, 24 beds, you'd have probably six of those would be fully convalescing, those chaps. Mm-hmm. They would be well past their, because heart attacks were a thing then, they're not a thing anymore. Some junior doctors are qualifying without ever seeing one, apparently. Really? Whereas they were just so common when I was a young girl that they were just nursed on general medical wards. We didn't have monitors and we have our medical devices engineer chappy here, but we didn't have such matters then. Mm-hmm. But you would by then have people recovering and they would really be just pushing the tea trolley around for the other patients. In the process, keeping an eye on them, looking out for them, looking after them. They could sit down with the guy who'd just come in with the heart attack and say, look, mate, don't worry, you know, I was there a few days ago, a few weeks ago, and whatever. And all of that used to relieve some of the burden on the clinical staff, 
well, that just isn't there anymore because you've got two things, Julian. You've got, yes, you've got the ones who are staying on almost indefinitely because there's nowhere for them to go to. Yeah. Other people being kicked out way too early when they're really still too soon post-op or too sick because they can go somewhere and they have to create the space somehow. You've got two sure. different things. You've got the two long yes. stayers and the two short stayers. I don't know what the answer is. I think it's better care in the community, more social yeah. care. Yeah. And every government that comes in says, oh, this is it. We're going to deal with social care. And well, we all know the rest mm. of it. Oh, we're being so British here, grumbling about our free at the point of service health care. Absolutely. 40% of our listeners have to pay insurance to get their health care. Yes. Well, we in the pay last tax. 12 we pay months, huge amounts of money in tax for ours. I'm hearing that it's taking a long time to get a consultation with a private consultant now mm -hmm. because so many people are resorting to private health care because the NHS waiting list is so long, which I suspect plays right into this government's hand. Mm. We're Thank all being warned up to the out, idea maybe. of private health care through the back door. Yeah. 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 Thank goodness the Tories are going to sort us all out. <laughs> We've raised one contentious issue there and one very important question with regards to the NHS and the government. Well, that's two questions really, isn't it? Actually, Jackie, I think one of the big questions that sort of reverberates yeah. around, and we're not shy of asking this question, and I think it's important to, yeah. to ask this. So... I'm just going to go straight ahead and ask it and stop beating around the bush and trying to make this easy for you. Jackie is, what's your favourite bread? Well, here's what I don't like. I don't like sourdough, so you take that one off the list. Excellent. At but last, that's our most someone popular. Someone will admit you don't like it. Oh, dreadful stuff. <laughs> Especially when it's toasted, it's a break-your-teeth stuff. With hot My favourite bread is a really nice... Probably, I don't know, artisan baked white loaf, a nice bit of white bread, fresh, mm -hmm. crusty white bread mm. with lashings of whatever, cheese and pickle and things like that. Yeah, there you are, freshly baked. Can I go back to the NHS for a minute? Just Please do. Say, Please I've got do. a veterinary connection. I'm conscious mm. that we are veterinary rambling. I think the NHS is in some ways the enemy of the veterinary profession because mm -hmm. how many times have I heard, and not nearly as many as you have, oh, it's so expensive, these vets, they're records off. I think because the NHS is free at the point of delivery, it lulls the entire population into a false sense of what everything costs. Mm. Well, not a false sense, no sense whatsoever. Yeah. And I can't understand why things aren't tagged or priced, as in, this episode of care, this list of pack of tablets, this whatever it is, has is this value. Yeah. It would do a lot of things. I mean, helping the veteran profession in a sense is the least of it, but it would bring awareness to just how much things cost, yeah. how much you get, how much bang you're getting for your bucks. And the thing I've often heard is, well, I've paid my taxes, which the answer is yes, but it's very, very it's not enough. No, you know, one no. one major episode of surgery, and that's wiped with probably a lifetime's contribution out. Mm. We were in Antwerp a few years ago, 
And we were in a bar, Scottish bar in God's second outlook. But the guy that ran it, they'd been living there for years. He'd had triple bypass surgery quite recently. Right. And although the insurance covered it, they were told at the end, this cost £22,000. And I really do think that if I can't see what would be the harm in informing people about the true cost of things, I think we live in a fool's paradise. I think you're absolutely right. Such is life. Such is life. But you're right. There is no NHS pet. Could you? There's there's the Blue Cross. There's the PDSA. There's the RSPCA. They're not dealing treatment cases anymore. Do you see a need or would you see a value in an NHS for for pets if we were to add further money to tax? Would I? Yeah. Or would we? Really? I've never thought about it. Probably not. Thank you, Jackie. I, I, I don't see it either. I'm sorry to put it out. I know he's only playing devil's advocate, but yeah. bloody. No. No, so, I don't think you make the argument for it. Certainly not economically. However, I think that so many animals are not given or don't get the proper veterinary care they need. And if I look at cats protection, the cats that we bring into care, I would say that oh, of those aged over five or six, probably 90% of them need dentals. Mm-hmm. We yeah. spend a king's ransom on dentals, even with the discounts that we get. And that is, in some cases, through people not taking their animals to the vet, because if you don't take your cat to the vet, they're never going to find out it needs a dental. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In many cases, I think it's affordability. If people haven't got insurance, and as we know, an awful lot of folk haven't, in the recent cost of living crisis, it's been one of the first household expenses to be jettisoned. We get these cats in, everyone's in a shocking state. I don't think we can have an NHS for animals and you don't do you, Julian. No, no, <laughs> no I don't need to talk. You've seen an increase, have you, in, in the number of cats being rehomed due to the cost of living crisis? obviously across the board people are struggling more we have had more hardship cases but it's still really the main reasons for relinquishment are the old standards of moving house can't take a pet especially if they're moving into rented accommodation and that can be a knock-on of economic situation because people are becoming homeless and having to move into rented homes after defaulting on mortgages, we us is the usual elderly person going into a care home or dying. Allergy, massive right. allergy. Probably one of the biggest ones is had a baby and baby's become a toddler and the cat just can't cope. Yeah. That's probably still one of the biggest causes of relinquishment that we've got. And mm. it will occasionally be uh, illness that's just costing so much that people can't, mm. well, you know, something like blocked bladder. People just can't afford it and they're confronted with euthanasia or relinquishment. And one thing we can't do is pay people's vet bills for them. Absolutely. We get a lot of requests for it, but we can't do it. I'm sure you do. It's interesting. I wonder if we could take one small step backwards, Jackie, Mm -hmm. because we've launched into Cats Protection and all of our English listeners will know only too well about Cats Protection. But I think some of our American or our other world listeners 
might not be that au fait with exactly what cats protection is. Could you tell us a bit more about cats protection? I can. It's the UK's largest feline welfare charity. And it, I can't say for sure, but it's when last killed, I knew there were around 200 volunteer-led branches and something like 40-odd adoption and homing centres. Um, the homing centres are staffed by a mixture of paid staff and volunteers. For the people who don't know about it, the main aims of the charity are rehoming cats that come in either by relinquishment from owners or as strays, neutering, neutering is a very, very large part of the charity's work, and educational information for the public about cat care at welfare. And so those are the three main things we do. A very large charity, something like 8,000 volunteers, which is a lot. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot of yeah. volunteers. Predominantly female, mm-hmm. which probably won't come as a surprise to anybody. Cats, broomsticks, females, it's, you know. I think for different reasons, actually, Mike. Oh, oh sorry. Okay, okay. Because right. they're not all black cats that they have there. Oh, no, it's not all black. No, it's not all black cats, Julian. You're absolutely right. We're not a black cat, well, charity, are we? No. So, Although we've got one of your black cats. Yes, I've got three of my black cats. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not all black, are they? They're not all black. No, no, no our they're other, not all black. Our other CP cats is black and white. We do have a lot of black and black and white cats. I think there are more of them then. Mm-hmm. So proportionately, that's probably why. So yes, that's what we do in a nutshell for our overseas listeners. Now you're you're one of those volunteers, aren't you? Fifteen years I've been branch coordinator on April the first. It's a massive undertaking. It probably is, yeah, about thirty hours a week. Wow! And that's all voluntary. What got you into yeah. doing that, Jackie? Well, I wanted to be helpful. This was about 17 years ago because I've been running the branch of 15 and I was with it for a couple of years before. Like cats, had cats for a long time and thought I could be helpful here. Rang the local branch and said, how about I run a couple of cats through the vets for you if you need it? Well, yes, they said, come along. That's great. So within a month, I was doing the fundraising role, which entailed going to baits with our stall and all of the usual things mm-hmm. and then after a couple of years of that and I was learning the ropes generally I was learning to do home visits trapping cats and all just the then branch coordinator just sort of stepped down mm-hmm. in really just almost overnight that was in November 2007 and then else took two steps back <laughs> And so and I said, well, that, in front. <laughs> said, I'll do it. But I was yes. just about to start writing up my PhD thesis. That I must, I've got to do that. So the branch went on hold from November to the 1st of April. I handed in my thesis on the 31st of March, screamed up to Lancaster University with that. And then on the 1st of April, took over the reins of the branch. Never mm-hmm. intending, really, or expecting it to last this long, but it has. I get quite involved with 
the homing side of things. I run the adoption side, which I really, really like. The branch is up and running. If I only coordinated, I don't really think there will be so much to do on a day-to-day basis, but I give myself additional workload by, by running the adoption side, which is really rewarding. Yeah, what does that involve? From the very inception, getting to know the cats, having got photographs of them, not me personally. We have a very talented team of photographers in the branch. Mm-hmm. They get fantastic photos, get cats onto the website and Facebook, generate inquiries about adoption, go through those, pick out the likely suitable ones. Everybody gets responded to. We make a point of that. Nobody's just left dangling or wandering. And then do what's called a home visit, which these days increasingly is on WhatsApp. We started during COVID and we suddenly thought, ah, well, we've been driving miles here to do this. We could do this now. The person can flip their camera. You can look at the garden. You can look at anything you want. And then, so matching the cats. It's, it's, it's matchmaking, Mike. Mm. Know the cat, get to know the people, work out what would be the right match, really. And that's what we do. Two cats have gone off to new homes today, actually. That's rather nice. Well done. Do you ever get attached to the ones that are in your care? One of the things that I don't do is foster cats, Mike. I think enough's enough. Yes. (laughs) And I have done on occasion... Our fosterers are a brilliant bunch. They manage to love them and let them go. Wow. They're so brilliant. Yeah, people foster for different reasons. Very, very often, for instance, give you some examples, live in a flat, haven't got access to a garden. Mm-hmm. Want to go travelling a lot, either in younger years or young retirement, so don't want to be tied down to a cat. Can't necessarily afford a cat of their own, but still would like to have a cat in their life. Mm-hmm. One of our fostering couples feels they're too old to take on a cat, but it wouldn't be right. So we have all sorts of reasons. Well, maybe those sort of scenarios will ring true to a lot of people listening in and they could think, well, hey, we could become fosterers. Could they do that? Do they, is there a way of contacting cat protection if you're interested in becoming there a fosterer? Is. There is. So if you go to the main website, www.cats.org.uk, there is a Find Us tab. Punch in your postcode. It brings up the branch or branches or adoption centres closest to you. Mm-hmm. You can make a direct inquiry, drop them an email. Are you looking for fosterers? And if they are, then you can go through a, it is now an application process. Because there was a day long ago when it was, we actually seemed like a nice person. Like, but now we <laughs> have to do... application form references in the induction training and that's the way of the world everywhere isn't it it is it is yeah yeah this your lengthy training to become a vaccinator absolutely absolutely i I love sticking sharp things in people yeah great you're in fantastic fantastic yeah you've got all the statutory things haven't you sort of data protection and safeguarding and moving and handling and on it goes, yeah. So yep. this is, but and, and prevent, just in case you see a, a cat uh, that perhaps has been withdrawn recently and you worry it may Radicalised. What, you mean radicalised? Yeah. yeah. Radicalised Siamese cat. Mm. 
Indeed, absolutely. Yes. Oh, diversity training. Don't forget that. Yeah, yeah. Diversity training. Fours of shells can be considered to be every every bit as catty as others. So handling dangerous substances. Cats are dangerous substances. Well, they are dangerous substances, especially if you're a pregnant woman. Well, when handled, cats can be dangerous substances too. Yes. We've yes. all got the scars to show for that with we, Julian. We and have indeed. <laughs> Even we'll, I have we'll got, got fingers up your nose. So, yeah, anyone can apply to become a foster. And we have about 10 in our branch, which, and they all are good at different things. So, some are Is brilliant it? with the challenging cats, some are brilliant with the timid cats. They all got their little niche that they're good at, kitten care. So the cats go to the fosterers based on who's most suitable. Mm-hmm. It's all a finely tuned machine, it is. Absolutely, it works very well indeed, I think. But we heard a bit of a story about a gang of feral cats. Yeah, Nutley Lane. Mayhem. Oh, Nutley Lane. Nutley Lane. Do, do you want to tell us a bit about that? I can tell you about that. Natley Lane is a very, very affluent area of Rygate, and Rygate is, it? is itself an affluent place. It's the old Victorian quarter where the poor people used to live when I was a girl, but now it's changed. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, there was an ind- is an individual who continues to have unneutered cats. Oh, but it's a long-standing problem. Other branches of cat protection have been in over the years. We got the call saying, please, please help. We went along with my colleague and I, and I don't think I've ever seen as much cat poo anywhere. It was a hot August day. It was really unpleasant. The good burgers of Nutley Lane were trying to have barbecues in their gardens and things. And (laughs) it was, every time the wind blew, it was awful. Plus, the worst part of it was just seeing all these cats and kittens in, in very poor state, wandering around. It was awful. There were about, well, we reckon about 50. What? That's a lot. Well, it's not a very large street. It wasn't all of Nutley Lane. It was a section of it. Mm -hmm. So we spoke to Rygate and Banster Council and the local, the ward councillor came along. Mm -hmm. That was a bit. And I involved the RSPCA. They're very thin on the ground these days, as you probably know. They are indeed, yes. Very thin on the ground. Changing times, yeah. Absolutely. So that was the August. I think by the time we got everything organised and spoken to lots of the residents, got the size of the problems, one of the biggest things you have to avoid when you go in on a feral trapping programme is not doing your homework beforehand. If you don't know how many cats are and get rough descriptions of them, you don't know when you've got them all. And if you don't yeah. know if you've got them all, it all starts off again. So groundwork really pays off. Yeah. So uh, you can, you try and get an inventory of all the cats. You can literally tick them off as you get them. However, on the subject of black cats, as earlier, and most of them were black and black and white. They do look rather similar, don't they? They do look very similar, don't yeah. they? You know, a small black one, a medium black one, a big black one. <laughs> so I think it was about the, I think we was going in there in about June, July starting off. And then August, and we started trapping back end of September. 
And I said, I think we'll be here till Christmas. And I was about right. What? Because you get diminishing returns. In the first hour of the first day, I think we trapped four. Right. Mm. So you, you get the easy catch. The kittens are supposed to be, they're just, oh, they toddle in. Whereas you've got the wily old unmuted males who've been around the mm. block a few times and they're standing back going, oh, 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 oh. Yeah, my, my grandfather told me I was on wire contraption. Right? He's yeah. never got out. Yeah. Absolutely. And also, you've got to get access to people's gardens, and not everybody wants that. And we were wading, always knee-deep in cat poo in some of the back gardens. It was oh, gosh. unpleasant. But we have a good it. team. And the mm-hmm. vets, remember, it was post-COVID, so... You know what that's been like, Julian. We're trying to get appointments, and that that was yeah. quite hard. But we did it between us and the vets. We managed to trap all bar one. Mm-hmm. He's still on the loose, but on his own, there's not much he can do really. So, what provoked all of this? What's the catalyst that made it start? Was this somebody the, who wanted, wanted one to individual? Help one individual who doesn't believe in cat neutering. And sort of one wanted, individual wanted, yeah. wanted to help and look after cats and, and no, be kind. just had cats and didn't agree with neutering. Oh right, having cats as many of them as, as he could didn't look um, after them. It got out of hand. It does yeah. very it has, very rapidly. I mean, those it? two kittens that you saw today, Julian, have come out of a one-bedroom flat where there are three young unneutered males in one room. The other room has three unneutered young females and a litter of five kittens in a small pen. What? Yeah. Yeah, they breed like cats. Well, no, well, I mean, they're kept apart. I don't obviously. But it's quite, quite a thing. And then... <clears throat> Again, got the RSPCA involved in that one because mm. the one thing cat's protection isn't it or can't win. We've got no legal powers whatsoever. That's not what we do. The mm. RSPCA inspectors will tell you they haven't got as many legal powers as everybody thinks they have. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to get warrants no. to no. go to people's homes. It's, it's not as easy as it used to be, apparently. That may be a good thing. Who knows? But one thing we can't do is we've got no legal powers whatsoever. Right. So in a situation no. like that, we will help. We will take the cats if they can be got, if we've got space. We can't go barnstorming someone's house and ripping all the cats, cats away. Cats, of course, are still considered property, aren't they? They are property in law, yes, mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't think it would have been much easier to do something else with your life? I may become an aerobics instructor. I was an aerobics instructor, Julian, as well you know. Well, that told you. That told you off, didn't it? <laughs> well, how many careers was... I had? Well, that was a long... Well, I suppose you could say different careers for different decades. Um, <laughs> in my 20s, it was all... I was doing a lot of agency nursing. I was boxing, coxing, doing teaching aerobics. Not very settled to much at all. Then in my 30s, it was definitely became a ward sister, decided to knuckle down, 
and got rapid promotion, became a senior manager. Then in my 40s, it was finding my way through that and into leadership development and then yeah. in, and started to develop the academic side of life. And then in my 50s, it was doing the PhD and getting really quite skilled at the leadership development and getting the job with the Leadership Academy. So every decade seems to have brought different things. What could I have done something else in my life? I'm sure I could have done. I sometimes think about it, but I don't feel I've particularly missed out on anything because I still do all the things I'd like to do. Mm-hmm. You certainly do seem to fit 27, 28 hours into every day. I don't know. I'm not Margaret Thatcher. I don't exist on four hours sleep. Well, I'm not Margaret Thatcher in a number of ways, really. That's just one well, of yes. them. I think oh, we've ascertained that already. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I can tell why you're not Margaret Thatcher, because when we went skiing, you never once headed straight down a black run saying this lady's not returning. No, you've seen my skiing. It's not a strong point. It's really not a strong point. Moving on. <laughs> moving on, moving being, on. Let's move on from. Okay, let's, uh, well, like let's move on. I'm a pig on planks on a pair of skis, Mike. I really am. I thought we were going to talk about skiing then. I got all excited. We can. No, we won't. I retired many, many, many years ago. From skiing? Yeah. Yeah. Mike was a professional skier. Really? Mm-hmm. Well done. I'm a professional not being able to ski or anything. I can't <laughs> Well, I, I was, so many lessons, honestly. I just don't know. It's not it. true at all. It's not true at all. Jack is a very elegant skier, but you don't like crowds on the slopes. Hate it. And I don't like all the borders coming behind me going, oh, that horrible noise. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would say I'm a not nervous skier. I'm a something. I like an empty piece that yeah. suits me. But where do you find those now? Who knows? I haven't skied for yeah. 30 years. It's going to get worse, isn't it? Where there's less and less snow, more and more people are going to be crammed on fewer and fewer pieces. Yeah, well, over the United States. It's going to get expensive as well, I think. It's going to go yeah. back to being quite elite. Yes, yeah. I think it will. Quite right, too. Yeah. Do you want to ski with us, do you? Good Lord, no. No, no. Heavens above. Heavens above. You mentioned that Jackie very eloquently listed your your decades. Mm. And uh, you listed one there as academic decade. Well, teaching, learning, teaching. Mm-hmm. Have you? Yeah, um, I, yeah. Go on. Okay. Have you actually listened to Vetna Ramblings before? Yeah, once, twice. <laughs> that's what most people do, actually. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I listened to a lot more in the last week because I've been listening because I'm wanting to know what to expect. Ah, I hope we haven't disappointed. No, not at all. In fact, no. I'm, I, it's been so far so good. Okay, good. I'm concerned. <laughs> it's been pretty good for us too. It's been great for us too. So, I don't know whether you watched or whether you listened. I don't know whether you've seen this particular device come out before. Talking about... For those, for those who are listening rather than watching, mm. no need to get worried. Mike isn't showing Jackie anything too personal. He's showing Jackie his computer, which has a stopwatch on it. Ah. Oh. Countdown timer. Jackie, if you've listened, you've come across 60 Second CPD. I have. I've listened to quite a lot of them. Or for our American listeners, our 60 Second CE, as we learned last week. Yes, we found we've been saying it wrong all this time. It's not continuing professional development, it's continuing educational, continuous educational. So, Jackie. 
Do you fancy it? You up for it? Go for it. Okay. So what would you like to do your 60 seconds on? If there's, if you only know one thing about change, know this one thing. Ooh. Okay. okay. Right. Let's introduce you then. Dr. Jackie Ayres. If there's only one thing you know about change, make sure it's this thing starting now. Right, most of us have to manage change from time to time, and sometimes it's large-scale organisational change, but more often it's small changes in practice. And we have to bring people along with us. When we communicate change, we've usually had a chance to think about it beforehand. We've gone through the what-ifs, yes, but, so I'm not sure about that. So by the time we get to talk to other people about it, we're already if not fully convinced, partially there. The people we're talking to aren't, they're hearing it for the first time. And the big mistake we can make is to tell them all about what's gonna change when they need to hear a lot about what's gonna stay the same. Tell them what's gonna stay the same. It's stability, it's reassurance. You're more likely to win them over if you give them that than if you just keep on and on about what's gonna be different. I've taken this work from the man called William Bridges and believe me, He's brilliant. And, that, and that's spot on. As and, and so wow. are you. Thank you very much. And as ever, Jackie, I'm always impressed by your ability to take a complex subject mm. and break it down so it sounds just so fairly easy. But it's not. You're holding up a book there, Managing Transitions. Cool. And this is the man who makes it all seem so... Gosh, why didn't I think of that before? William Bridges, right. Managing Transition. And you it's... bought me a copy of that book when I was changing things in the practice. Did I? Yeah. Thank you oh. very much. And, and I read it and it all made sense. And it helped me and helped my staff as well get through it. Because it's change isn't a, it's A and it's going to be B. It's a journey, isn't it? Mm. And we need to take them on that journey. And we need to take ourselves on that journey. But all the time keeping hold of the fact that actually there is stability in that change. There are things that we don't need to worry about because they're going to be the same as they always were. There are going to be other things that may be better, maybe worse, maybe the same in different ways. But above it all, there is a, a, a flat journey with a few hills, valleys on, on route. Yeah. So that's the secret to your success at managing the changes that you implement. <sighs> Do you know, I've made some dreadful mistakes over the years. I wish I'd read William Bridges when I was in my early 30s and having to manage complex change projects for the first time in the mm -hmm. NHS. I would have done a lot of things very, very differently and probably have much better outcomes, particularly for the poor souls having it inflicted on them. Right. I wonder whether it would have been written better if it was written by Jeff Bridges but with the same information. Because he would have put dude at the end of every sentence. Mrs. Bridges, maybe. Well, Mrs. Bridges, yes. Yes, a nice recipe there in every, uh, every oh, chapter. Well, actually, you say that. One criticism of a lot of change theory, notice the segueing so nicely here, is that it's presented as like a recipe for change. So you do really? this, you do that. You know, almost like, and then at the end, you get that. So, a lot of the critique and the sort of studying I've done about leadership and management and organizations is what's called critical management theory. So it takes these mainstream theories and rips them apart and critiques them. 
is that it oversimplifies the whole process. Mm -hmm. If you do this, this, and this, then that will happen. And we all know, if you apply that to most things in life, it doesn't no. work. <laughs> and so the whole idea of recipe-based management theory is for the birds, really. But unfortunately, it still keeps being heavily pushed on MBA programs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, by the way, stands for Master of Bubber All. But you better edit. You'd better edit that out. You might uh, upset gonna somebody. We're Do not we going to edit anything. But I tell you what, Julian, have you got a CPD certificate? I, I have. And I think I think Jackie's 60 second CPD was well worth it. Okay. So here we go. Well, that's very good. The Veterinary Ramblings CPD certificate, or CE certificate, and it says Certificate of Changing Your Attitude to Change. All right. Well, and so what have we got to see here? We've got at the bottom, we've got my two cats. There's Lindo, there's Solitaire that I got from Cast Protection from Jackie. So thank you very much. Uh, the family, they're lovely. Now, this was another Cast Protection cat that I'm showing here. Paws. Do you remember this cat had polydactyly? Oh, yeah. And rather than having five claws on every foot, it had seven or eight on every foot. So it was a a fun thing to deal with, trying to cut all those nails. Just for no reason, what, whatever, I put a little homemade mandolin there because uh, we haven't touched on your hobbies and interests, but I know that you share an interest with me in music, in good music okay. and classical guitar and string instrument music. Whilst and not little, playing a single instrument with myself. Whilst, whilst not playing with your husband, plays brilliantly. He does. Mm -hmm. There's a picture of me skiing. And so there. Because, because I put the wrong search string into my photos, rather than having anything to do with aerobics, I've got a nice photo of the red abnormal. Aeronautics. That do aeronautics. That's nothing to do with you, is it? I'm afraid you weren't an aeronautics coach, you're an aerobics coach. Yes, but when it was fashionable to call it that back in the days, in the heady days of the 1980s when Jane Fonda was doing it and it all came over from America and was very exciting. It was aerobics. That's and right. we all remember James Fonda doing it, didn't we? Mm -hmm. James Fonda. Not James Fonda, James Fonda. I've got an image Indeed. of Jamie Lee Curtis for some reason. Ah, now, is that an image from Trading Places? Yeah, it is. It's got yeah. to be. That's the one. Must was. <laughs> Big socks and lycra, if I remember right. It was less than that, I think. What was that? Big socks and lycra. Yes, it was. Well, it's leg warmers. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Leg warmers yeah. and lycra. Leg. It was indeed back in the day, yes. And there was the green goddess, if you remember. Diana Moran. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's right. I was, I was thinking of the green hornet with Bruce Lee. I was thinking about fireman strikes. <laughs> <laughs> Where the army had to wheel out these... Green oh, goddesses. The green goddesses. Yeah. yeah. The army. Tankers and try and put fires out yeah. with them. Yeah. And I, the problem was they shot everyone who tried to leave the buildings. Mm. Worked very badly, didn't it? Well, there we go. And the Gurkhas yeah. were drafted in. Then my dad was a, fire, was a senior ranking fire officer. Oh, yes. And the Gurkhas were drafted in as firefighters. And my dad loved the Gurkhas. He just said that they were the best, most obedient men he'd ever had to order about. And he did like to order people about a bit, my dad. Yeah, he liked a Gurkha. Yeah, but you would never refer to someone as obedient these days, would you? That's, 
Jeremy Sims. Oh, Sims, yeah. yeah, I know. No, yeah, yeah. He, he was. I won't go there. So, no, that's not. I met a bunch of Gurkhas on Snowden one year. Mm-hmm. And a friend I was with said, You come some Gurkhas, whatever you do, don't ask them to show you their knives. I thought, Well, why would I? I, would, I would, why would you? Cookery knives. Cookery, cookery yeah. knives, yes. And if they unsheath their cookery knives, they have to shed blood before they put them back. And so if you ask a Gurkha to show him, to show you his cookery knife, he'll unsheath it and show it to you, but then he'll have to cut himself before he puts it back. So you think cookery knife is tautological, isn't it? Just cookery, which is a knife. Cookery. Like non bread. Yes. I think it is. I think you're right. Yes. Yeah. Cookery means that style of knife. Mm. Yeah. So I have some cookery sort of knives, saying. which are different. Some lovely cookery knives, which both you and Rob have, have used. Yes, I expect so. But they're not cookery. No, they're not cookery. No, no. Goodness me. Where are we going from here then? Where are we going from here? I'll tell you where we're going to go from here then. Let's get mm-hmm. a bit more philosophical then, because... Part of continual professional development or continuous education, stuff like that, for which we thank you for doing such a fabulous 60-second CPD, part of that is reflection. And I was wondering, Jackie, if you could give us a reflection question or a question for us all to reflect on for a while. Let's sneak in too, because they're kind of related. Why not? Mm-hmm. No rules here. My first question then to everybody is on the boat, on your, I just really just roughly skirted over in 60 seconds the change. The first question how well do I understand change? Mm-hmm. Given that it's part of pretty much everybody's professional lives, whether we are reorganizing a whole company or organization or whether we're trying to persuade our colleagues perhaps to neuter cats a few weeks earlier than they feel comfortable doing. Oh, yes. For example, mm. how do I actually understand the processes of change? And secondly, leading on from that, how well do I actually lead change in my area of practice? Oh. Mm. Given that everybody is, or I guess ought to be a change agent, even if it's only making sure that evidence-based practice is followed, we could have a debate about that, but we won't at the moment. Mm. So you can critique that rather heavily if we wanted to as a concept. <laughs> but hey, we haven't got all night. But in general, assuming that we do, all of us as professionals, need to show the way, take new information, translate it for others, translation being a big part of change management, actually. How well do I actually do that in my area of practice, whether you are a clinical lead or whether you're just the newest qualified vet that's just joined? doesn't matter. You've got a responsibility. How much do I understand it? How well do I do it? That's right. I heard once that there's one constant in life, and that is change. Oh, very deep and meaningful. There we go. But also, that there's a really good sort of, it, it's, it's just anecdotal, but generally people will resist change if they can't see anything in it for them. Mm-hmm. I think there's truth. Yeah. If, yeah. if you look at William yeah. Bridges' work, he repositions change as transition. He says, 
The change is a date. It's a date on the calendar, the day the new IT system goes live. However, the psychological transition that people have to make to that, it probably takes a lot longer. And the inexperienced manager goes, well, damn it, we've started. You know, you've had all your training. What's wrong with you? Why don't you just get on with it? Actually, I'm still mourning the old system that I felt more at home with. I may yes. have lost some of my colleagues in this change. I feel de-skilled. I feel incompetent. I don't like that. If we don't pay attention to the psychological transition, we miss a huge part of the jigsaw. We don't help people properly, and then we wonder why it all goes wrong. Yeah, that's true. I feel exactly that way. Whenever we have a new software change at work, practice. I think I'm not interested. I don't care what software we have as long as it works. Mm. And yet we have this big rollout of the new software it's just really well what the heck I think mean, I'm not gonna be able to learn it because I can't. Because yeah. I get so dis disincentivized. It's very difficult then to try and persuade any of my staff that they should because I clearly don't give a damn about it. Yeah, absolutely. Ian Richard says that this applies to any change. It doesn't just be at work. So he talks about you move house, maybe the house that you've always wanted, but there's still a process of ending and letting go because he sees it as three distinct phases, ending and letting go. Well, he calls the neutral zone and then the yeah. new beginning. He says, Even if you move to house, you're letting go maybe of an old neighbourhood, old neighbours, familiarity with local shop, the dentist, the doctor, the hairdresser. There's yeah. always something to be let go, even when it's an exciting new venture and you have to go through that transition. And it, it makes such a lot of sense. It does, it does, even though nostalgia just isn't what it used to be in the old days. Indeed. <laughs> well, there we go. We've said, you know, the one constant in life is change and we've had a lot of really good stuff here tonight, Jackie. Thank you very much indeed. I actually hope nobody's listening. Well, if they are, they've been not telling anyone about it. Quite so, quite yeah. so. So, Jackie, it's been an absolute privilege to meet you this evening and, and chat and find out a bit more about your life. Unfortunately, the one thing that doesn't change is that we have to wrap up at some point in time. Yep. Yes, so, sad though it is. Yes. All it leaves me to say is that if you've enjoyed this evening, do one thing for us, subscribe, because it yes. really does help. Dr. Jackie Ayres, thank you very much indeed. And this is going to sound quite strange considering we've been talking about cats all night. May your dog go with you. May your dog go with you. Cheers. <laughs> thank you both very much. Bye. <laughs>